Welcome to the Pure Conversation Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Miller. This week's guest is viral fake celebrity and award-winning marketing professional, Brett Cohen. Brett has worked with many major brands such as Party Cities and Snickers to create engaging and experimental marketing campaigns. Thank you so much for joining us. For joining hey, Joseph. Thanks so much for having me on. Appreciate it. Thank you. So first off, I want to know a little bit about your, uh, you know, your big viral moment. You know, tell me a little bit how you got this idea, how you implemented it. You know, what happened? Um, so I was having lunch with a really good friend of mine um, in New York City, just uh, actually across from Rockefeller Center. And as we're sitting eating lunch, uh, we're kind of like at a bench looking out the window. Um, the idea just came to me. And the idea was a little bit different than how we actually executed it, but it was similar enough that it, it was that celebrity entourage idea. And my thought was, if we just walked across the street with that image, I bet you people would flock to us. Um, and I also knew that if we didn't actually put the wheels in motion to execute it, we probably wouldn't have done it. We, we both thought it was a great idea, but you know, uh, a good idea without execution is just a good idea. So um, how did we put it together? We uh, hired bodyguards, photographers, made a list of what we thought would really create that attractive celebrity image um, and got those pieces in place, got the camera crew, um, mapped it out. And yeah, like two weeks later, we actually did this thing. Um, Can I ask how much that it all costed to set this up? Believe it or not, it only cost me around 40, 50 bucks for the whole thing. Um, most, most of it was friends just doing me a favor. Um, and when it came to the bodyguards, they all, when I told them the idea, by the way, I found them on Craigslist. Oh, wow. That, that's how Craigslist made that moment happen. Um, but yeah, when I told them what I was doing, they said, hey, look, uh, you don't have to pay me. Just please let me be part of this. Um, so that was cool. Uh, you know, when I was a college student, I didn't really have a budget for this thing anyway. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was, it was rather inexpensive. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed whoever's idea was to have like, to interview people on the side and ask them how you knew, how they knew you. I thought that was the best part of it all. Like just watching these people think, oh, you know, I remember he was, he was great in Spider-Man. You know, I love that song he wrote. You know, people say anything. It was actually, it, it was very impressive. Um, you know, uh, it seems that, um, you know, you, you do have this outlook on, you know, presentation, you know, especially as I was looking through a lot of your work. So it, it seems like, you know, th this whole thing really relates to kind of how you also deal with marketing. So I'd love to know a little bit about your background, about being seen, about how people see things. Can you tell me a little bit about your background in marketing, maybe, you know, how you got into, how you got into marketing, um, how you, how you understand presentation, you know, how you get people to look and to engage. Um, yeah, I mean, that, uh, that's a loaded question. So I will try to, I will try to cover all parts of it, uh, you know, uh, as quickly as I can. Um, you know, uh, in terms of how I got into marketing, because that's probably the shortest part of yeah. my, my, my answer. Um, I started where after college, I, I wasn't really doing any more YouTube videos. I wasn't, uh, I didn't quite have uh, a plan to continue on with that, even though I did want to, it, it just, I didn't really have a trajectory in mind, not to say I wouldn't even do it again at this point, but it wasn't really what I saw as being my sort of long-term career. 10 um, years ago was, 
were you a 10 year like when you when you came out with this were you making money off the video like were people making i don't remember that you know when it when it happened yeah it it was monetized mm-hmm. um you know i think to be completely honest with you something that worked against us was we had a cool in the gang song mm-hmm. uh in the video so that prevented us from monetizing it uh in a real way um the only money i really made off of the video unfortunately was um you know, when I would go on Good Morning America or whatever for a TV appearance, they would pay me, you know, a, a fee for non-exclusive licensing just to be able to show the video uh, on their program and, and own the rights to it on their broadcast. That was it. And that wasn't a lot, but I appreciated it nonetheless because I, I didn't really make this to make money. It was just kind of a, a project. It was just a thing. Mm. But yeah, not a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, yeah, sorry, I cut you off. You're telling me about your background. You just mentioned in the middle that. Uh, you know, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, my my career, I uh, graduated from college, and I, I first got into media. I worked at AMI. I worked at Maxim. Um, so I was kind of on the publishing side, and uh, most of my background is in media and marketing. So I I pursued that a little bit further and I left publishing for about five years and went on to the agency side um, where I really dove into experiential marketing, both live and in person and digital at scale, which obviously uh, is is quite relevant right now uh, for the time that we're in. It's it's all sort of amplified in the virtual direction, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, so I, I had five years of great experience at an agency called Coffee Labs that I was one of the founding employees of and really had the opportunity to work on some cool experiences there, you know, for, for some really big brands and clients. Um, so that's sort of what got me to where I am now. I'm, I'm most recently at Forbes. I started there as the director of production for live and virtual events uh, back in October of last year. So during the pandemic, I started a new journey, which uh, a lot of people have done. And, you know, to answer your question about my philosophy towards what attracts people towards marketing, because ultimately, as you alluded to, my video marketing it all boils down to, to very similar principles. Um, I think that there's an evolving answer to that. I think you need to see where culture is, where trends are going. I think you need to stay on the pulse to understand what it is that people are attracted to. Um, you know, there, there are the things that always work, like nostalgia is always a big thing in attracting people. Uh, you know, there, there's always a new way to create hype. I think you just have to kind of understand the consumer. Um, Unfortunately, I think a lot of marketers age out of their years of effectiveness uh, just by the nature of getting older and not understanding the younger generation. Like I don't have TikTok. Uh, I don't want to download TikTok. And I feel old saying that. You and me both. Uh, You you know what I mean? So it's kind of weird. And I, I hope that I continue to be an effective marketer, but I don't know that there's really an answer to that question. I think uh, sometimes you have to survey the room to see if an idea really hits. I think generally people's gut reaction to things can be good, but marketing is a very experimental thing for that very nature. There really isn't an answer to that question. Right, so so then, you have to experiment. So, so then 
some of your, uh, you know, some of your work with, I believe, Coffee Lab, you mentioned was what I would call, you know, there's experimental and then there's some things like that you got, which I think is like really out there. For example, AR and VR type marketing. So how did you say, you know, we got to experiment and then say, okay, let me, let's go all the way to VR. How did the process, um, uh, and, and how did you then say, well, we're going to risk it in something, you know, this um, new and then, um, and then, and then properly plan it in a way which would engage, you know, which get, would get other people inci- excited. Yeah. Um, you know, as far as my clients went at Coffee Labs, uh, sometimes they would come to us and know exactly what they were looking for, um, which is an easy sell. Um, going into the, the side of taking a risk and being experimental, as I'm sure you can imagine, it is very hard to get people to be willing to take a risk. Um, things do fall flat all the time. I've worked on things that have fallen flat. I think most people have, we don't don't always talk about it, but can you describe an instance maybe? Um, I don't want to say because it was a project for a client that I just didn't think really, you know, hit the nail on the head Mm -hmm. the the way we quite wanted it to. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I can't really get into it too much. I I was under NDAs for that project as well. But it, 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 it's happened on more than one occasion. I've worked on a lot of things. Not everything will turn up the way you want to. Um, but I think there is a reward for taking risks when brands want to experiment with new and emerging technologies, because ultimately you are going for that younger audience. You are always going for that next generation of consumer. It doesn't matter what, what, what category your brand is. You have, to, you have to always be experimenting. You have to always be changing your approach. Um, things are changing at, a, at an exponential pace across all businesses. Um, not just marketing, just their operations. It's all kind of blending together. It all comes down to what technology you're using, how quickly, how effectively can you reach people? Um, And that's a game that is being played every day. So again, some clients would come to us like American Express and they, they knew they wanted to do an augmented reality experience. We helped them shape what that is and then we execute it. Then you have other brands that come and they say, hey, look, we have this new product that we're launching. We want to do something really cool. Um, What are some cool technologies that we can work with um, to really help promote this campaign or this product or this anniversary, whatever it may be? So what you do is you, you have conversations with them. You learn about what their goals are. You learn about who they're trying to reach and what is it that they're trying to get. Are they trying to get emails? Are they trying to just create content? You know, their goals runs the gamut. But you have to build an experience backing into how they're going to achieve their goal. And the way you sell them on it, in terms of selling them on the idea of taking a risk, is that you show them that there is a plan to this. There's a plan to promote this experience. This experience is designed to kind of pull people a little bit deeper into the funnel and educate people on your branding campaign. Um, sometimes research backs it up. You always have to make a case, but at the same time, if you're doing something for the first time and there's nothing to back it up, they just have to trust you to take the ball and run with it. Um, sometimes that's just by them seeing your past work and successes. Uh, but at the end of the day, there are no guarantees. A media campaign can fail. Um, so, 
you know, there's a little bit of risk in everything, but, but certainly uh, the brands that do come to agencies like Coffee Labs and say, hey, we want to do something a little bit different. Um, we want to do something we've never done before. Those are your best clients because they're in the weeds with you. Um, they don't question your every move. They are on your team. They are by your side. And that is where you always tend to see the best results because they are partners and collaborators, not just clients. So hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, that, that did, but do, can you walk me through maybe a uh, example like uh, of, one of, of one of the projects you might've worked with where uh, of your process, the process of maybe what, what they came to you with, what you guys then researched and tried to figure out how you were going to implement or, or, or what part of the creative process you guys changed or added. And I'd love to know just practically, like, like what you're saying is very good conceptually, but like, then you say, okay, so like someone comes to you with this crazy idea. So, so like, how do I know, like, is that going to hit or not? Like, I wouldn't even know how to test some of these ideas. I mean, you know, and again, ultimately it goes back down to, you have to have a conversation with the client, understand their needs and present what you think are different technologies that might help them achieve their goals. Um, sometimes, honestly, it's a very, it's a very difficult answer. Um, and in the same way that I said to you before, sometimes they come to you with an idea. Sometimes those ideas they bring to you are, are, are misguided and you have to decide, do I just take the money and produce this for them? Or do I kind of steer them in a different direction? You risk losing the business when you do that. Um, sometimes it's a brand director that's coming to you with an idea from their creative agency that they have already sold through. They're ready to do it. They just need someone to produce it. But, you know, you really have to figure out how to steer that ship. Um, do you want to go with a platform that's proven? Augmented reality is, is fairly prominent right now. Um, I wouldn't even consider that necessarily taking a risk. I think all brands should be incorporating some form of augmented reality experience, either within their marketing or within their e-com experience. Um, so I, I think that AR is a proven at this point, you know, worthwhile form of investment that, you know, companies should look at. Um, like, but to do something completely new, again, you, you have to make the case for it. We think this would work because, and they might disagree and you might have to bite the bullet and say, Hey, you know, maybe we'll, we'll do something that we don't think is, is our number one choice, but at least we could find a common ground. No one knows at the end of the day, but you have to use your logic and see what makes sense. So if it's a virtual reality experience, are you looking for people? Like, is it a product education experience? It, it really depends. Um, it's a very important dialogue to have and everyone, you know, the more open minded everyone is and the more on the pulse people are with what the latest technology is um, that tends to make for a, a more productive brainstorm session. So once you create this uh, experience, then how do you get other people to actually come? Meaning, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I, I know a lot of people um, who have businesses who you know, who's self-employed, doing freelance work or whatever, and and they, and they put together some some things, and sometimes even quite impressive things, and they'll post it online, and they'll try to they'll, they'll try they'll post across social media and, and and whatever platform you know they'll take out a billboard, but how do you get then get people to actually come? I Meaning you created an experience, but how do you get anyone to experience it? 
Um, you know, any number of ways. Sometimes these are experiences that you execute at a live event. Mm-hmm. Um, that sometimes they're events that people are already at. That's why you'll see, you know, when brands sponsor live events, it's really because they don't have to worry about um, getting people in the seats. They're already there. You want to go to where the people are. And the same sort of applies to digital, but almost reversed. You can do a media campaign that is very highly targeted to exactly the people that you're looking for. You can identify media partners that really have that audience. Um, You know, there's a lot of ways that you can drive traffic to it. Ultimately, what's going to work best is what's in it for the consumer. What, What is the value proposition you're offering? The experience, if you're not offering them something for free, then the experience that you're trying to get them to do, it better be amazing. Um, It better be something they've never done before. And if it's lame, that could actually work against a brand. Hey, you've brought us in and you've offered us something that that kind of falls flat. You know, that that could truly have the reverse effect on, on your brand's reputation. So when you craft these ideas and creative executions, as a producer, I do rely very heavily on the creative team and make sure that they understand the technology so that we can work together on how to best utilize that. And then there's usually a separate media team that we work with to develop creative and find the right ways to reach that audience. So sometimes it is paid media. Sometimes it is um, you know, organic content campaigns, paid content campaigns with uh, media publishers. Um, Sometimes it could even be a podcast where it's mentioned in kind of a native ad. You never know what that's going to look like. It really depends on, you know, who the brand is, you know, financial services. Like um, I've done a lot of work with Invesco is very different from who we reach when we're promoting, you know, a party city AR app. So uh, it's sort of on a case by case basis, but, you know, really requires the insight of a lot of people to do it the right way. Got it. One of the more interesting campaigns I saw you, or at least I thought one of the more interesting campaigns, you know, I don't want to put it in the box, but, uh, you know, was it was the Amex campaign where um, it seems like you created or you were involved in creating a system to uh, to create like a like a a, a a sort of like CGI, an AR kind of store. Can you, see, can you speak a, bit, a little bit about that, about how you did it, how you were able to make it successful and maybe your thoughts on, you know, is this really the future? Yeah. So um, basically that experience was, it was executed at a live event. It was part of their uh, small business Saturday campaign. This was uh, November, like around Black Friday shopping, November, 2019. And this was in Soho. So they rented out this whole space and it was very cool. And there were a lot of different sections dedicated to um, sustainability and the future of shopping. So this was an experience that we worked with one of their creative agencies on. So they kind of came to us with the idea and we helped shape the execution. How can we use augmented reality technology to create a virtual shopping experience? Um, It was very simple in nature. Someone would hand you an iPad, right? So you're holding the iPad, you scan an AR marker with an app that we have preloaded onto the device and that marker. So let's say the marker is of a t-shirt a 3D t-shirt will pop up on your screen. You can rotate it, you can change the color, and you can actually order it right from there. Um, But there is no physical product in the store. 
And the idea was that this could be a technology used in the future to give small businesses some of that crucial retail space that, you know, a lot of brands just cannot afford. Um, Small brands, small businesses, they can't afford to be in Macy's. They don't have the resources to do that level of production. This is a great way for small businesses to sell their products at scale, um, something that Amex is definitely wanting to be aligned with. Um, But to answer your question about if I think this is the future, I don't think the future will ever look quite like that. I think it was a a glimpse or a simulation. Um, I think e-commerce will evolve. I I, I don't think people are going to be going to stores and scanning a marker. I think that the AR and the 3D exploration of products is going to happen right in your home, if not right right in your eye. Um, I do think the next step after smartphone technology sort of phases out, which I think it will, is I think it will all go to sort of a mixed reality, extended reality experience where we are either wearing glasses or contacts and information is is overlaid atop our our vision, our real world environment, very much kind of like Minority Report. Um I hope not too much. I I, I do believe that's the future. And I really, I I, I don't think we're really that far off from it Um, where, you know, we sort of mold with our devices. We are getting closer and closer to that. So uh, I'm giving you a little glimpse into my philosophy on it as well, but I think that's generally where things are going. And I think the Amex experience was a really good glimpse at what the capabilities are kind of right now to do something of that nature. And it's very interesting you say this. In a previous interview, I, I spoke to someone, his name was Jason Ramjet. He had, he, I don't know if you've ever seen one of these, uh, these giant uh, food production places, but like pretty much there's, they look like a, a giant city and it's just, you, you go inside these ginormous factories and there's thousands of ovens and cookies, you know, and machines. And, and like every, every 10 steps is like a completely different food. Um, and, and it's just like these massive, massive complex. And I asked him, you know, what is his innovation, what he was doing. And similar to, you know, the, at least the issues that you were addressing, he told me that in a certain sense, this was his innovations where he would, we're, take something like fresh bread, right? So, you, you know, you, when you talk about e-commerce, you're talking about changing experience. It's hard to imagine buying fresh bread from anywhere but a bakery, right? Or, or, or a store. Why would you order it online? So he told me, you know, he, he doesn't, and this is a guy who's doing, you know, he told me this is like, this is like a $300 million a year, uh, you know, a venture. He told me that the fresh, people are ordering fresh bread online. He doesn't even speak. He doesn't even reach out to Costco, to Walmart. You know, he doesn't reach out to supermarkets anymore. He brings the experience online. He starts off with Amazon, and then he additionally, every uh, brand has its own website. Everybody who comes to him to create food, he, just, he tells them, we're not going to Costco. We're not going to the Dollar Tree. We're not going here to stores, just online. And he's not dealing with, you know, packaged things. You know, like I'm looking next to me, like I have a bag of Doritos. Like he's not talking about something like that. He's talking about fresh food. It's it, that experience of, of 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 something fresh, but but to your it's bringing it to your door. You're not actually going to a physical place. If if you would have told me a few years ago, you know, I'd buy books on Amazon, you know, I'd buy packaged goods on Amazon, but fresh artisan bread, you know, that's unbelievable. 
but after I heard that, you know, after after what I heard, just heard you that people are going to be missing part of that experience of fresh bread. People are moving online anyways. And the question is now in my mind, so how are you going to take away that missed sort of, uh, you know, experience of fresh food and give it to people, you know, through the internet? You know, it's very easy to do yeah. with, with, you know, with, with, with non-food-based items. But I would say food-based items are probably the last, you know, the end of the trend. And now I'm, and, and now once I hear you, hear you say that, I'm thinking, you know what? I could really see that being the future, you know? Um, you know, I, I know they tried the 4D movies where they would like the scratch. I don't know if you ever saw it. They had like a, they give you a scratch and sniff card. And like, you know, when the numbers flash on screen, you know, you smell the card. But I could see a future now. And I really think about it, a future where, where you have goggles instead of, and also just tangentially, he told me the biggest problem, one of the other problems he has is when you go to stores, besides paying rent, you're paying to get on the shelves of stores. But if I could put on glasses and be in a bakery and they could augment that smell, if they could augment that experience, I'm never walking into a bakery again, you know, especially post COVID, you know, especially, you know, it just, why I could be in my own living room and look and see, you know, I could really see where that's going. I mean, look, you, you might see a day where, where that bread is 3d printed in your kitchen, uh, you know, and, and you're not ordering it from anyone, you know, that that's certainly something that's not off the table by any means. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think, uh, it's funny you bring up the bread example because there, there are certain things people are hesitant to do online, right? One of them is ordering food, uh, ordering clothing. Some people are still not into, into that. They still like to go to a store and feel something and have that, have that physical in-person experience, which, um, yeah, that's one thing you cannot really get virtually. Um, yeah, you know, I think during the pandemic, uh, a lot of people, uh, research has shown have, have shopped online in, in ways that they had never done before. Um, it's not necessarily the experience that you would have in a store, what, what typically people are sold on is the convenience of it. Um, but, you know, kind of shifting gears to what you were saying about retailers and, and, and how, you know, someone is selling bread online to people and they're not, it's not going to a bakery. They're not picking it up at the supermarket. I, I see that as a good thing. I think brands win and I think consumers win. Because, and nothing against retailers, retailers will always be around, I, I believe, in some capacity, but retailers are not good for brands. Um, they cost a lot of money. You have to pay a lot of money to have your product in those stores. The retailers tend to eat all the margins, which wreaks havoc on the quality and value that the end consumer is getting. So in a world where you remove the retailer, you have a direct connection between the brand and the product and the consumer. What that allows is there's no middleman. You don't have to worry about how beautiful your display case looks at the end of the aisle because you're controlling the whole message. What it also means is you don't have this retailer taking all this margin. So brands can spend more money on marketing. They can spend more money on improving their customer experience. They can lower their prices and they can increase the quality of the product that they're producing. So again, at the end of the day, the consumer wins and the brand wins. Um, retailers can kill a brand. Retailers do kill brands. Oftentimes uh, in, in the fashion industry, 
uh, that my, you know, my mom worked in fashion for many years. So I, I always heard this from her. The toughest part about her business was that the retailers kill them. They cancel orders. They have these impossible contracts that people can't turn down. It's an offer you can't refuse, but they, they don't care. They, they eat all the margin. The retailers are the only ones that have a shot at making money in a lot of these cases. So again, I don't want to hate on retailers, but um, I do think it is better for everyone that, that brands have that direct connection. And again, when you have more trust with a brand, I do trust that when you're going to deliver me this loaf of bread, if I don't have that experience of going into the bakery, I trust that it's going to be fresh. You've probably shown me that it's fresh. I, I can have more trust that this is fresh, local, whatever it may be, because I, I have more of a direct communication going on um, at that point. So we're definitely heading more in that direction. And I, it's good for small business. Um, that will ultimately be the resurgence of small business that I think we've needed for quite some time is their ability to be nimble and go digital. Yeah. Uh, speaking about that, you know, especially during the COVID pandemic, you know, have you seen any, you know, obviously, you know, straight to e-commerce was probably you know, pretty foreseeable for most people, but did you find any other trends that, uh, that might be interesting either for, especially from an advertising standpoint where, you know, maybe, uh, certain public events, you know, as you mentioned, you know, sponsorships are very big. You know, when I walk through the city, um, New York City, you know, there are billboards everywhere, you know, on taxi cabs, everywhere you look, there's an advertisement. Has the nature of how we think about advertising changed, you know, uh, it, dur during this, uh, dur during the shift to e-commerce, during the shift to, uh, you know, to more, to less, uh, to less large events? Um, well, you know, in the world where advertising was not all around us, I mean, that, that has changed. It's, it is everywhere you look physically and it's everywhere you look virtually. Um, in terms of how it's changed, you know, advertising at events and advertising out, you know, billboards in public, that's all about going to where the people are. Um, certainly at points during the pandemic, when you see, you know, for example, I had an out-of-home campaign that I was working on that got canceled because people were not out of home. Um, you realize that your digital strategy needs to be not just part of your marketing mix. It needs to be at the forefront. The way people look at advertising differently now is it's less of a nuisance the more personalized and targeted it becomes. So we hate that you know, in, in some cases, we get very frustrated when we realize how much data advertisers are collecting from us. Um, they, they know everything about us, everything, and they will continue to know more. They are yeah. watching us. They are monitoring us. They are listening to us. But I told, I'll tell you this. I looked at, my, at YouTube the other day because they, 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 they show you not just uh, now, now they show you not just um, you know, uh, what type of advertisements, but they, they tell you each kind of search that you did that led them to believe they're going to show you this advertising. And I, and I got like a little frustrated when I saw like how many searches they had and how well they pinned me. So I turned that off and I got really, then, then I started seeing these ads and I'm like, these have nothing to do with me. They're so annoying. You know, why are they showing me this? So I turned it back on because I actually liked it better when it was personalized. Exactly the point I was driving at. Ad personalization has changed the game. Uh, people don't mind watching ads as much 
if it applies to them. If I'm watching TV and I see an ad for a tampon, there's a technical term for that that sort of ties into just wasted marketing dollars, but that doesn't do anything for me. Um, If I can maybe pay a higher CPM or eCPM and reach just the people that I need to reach in an effective way on a platform that they're not going to mind watching my ad, again, it's better all around. Brands don't feel like they have to waste money because, uh, you know, the location of their ad doesn't have their audience perfectly. They can reach just their audience now. And for a consumer, the stigma of ads can kind of go away a little bit. There will be a day where out-of-home ads are going to be personalized. What you're looking at, you might see a different ad than I do. In what capacity do you see that? So they're already kind of doing that um, in a sense. So for example, like I'm saying, you and I would look at the same billboard, you would see one ad, I would see another. That's being done now uh, with Major League Baseball. Uh, Behind home plates, some of those ads, you can kind of see it if you look closely during a broadcast, but a lot of those are green screened. So depending on what network you're watching it on, if you're watching it on something like YouTube TV, they can actually superimpose an ad on the on the actual alpha channel ad um, based on who you are and what they want to show you on TV. That is actually amazing. Wow. So if you're at the stadium, you just see a green screen. That is so smart. That's actually one of the best ideas I've ever heard. Yeah. And and they've been doing it for a while now. Um, But that's just an example of, you know, really that's the direction we're going in. And we're going in that direction faster and faster every year. Yeah, I, I could see how everyone wins. I'm just thinking about that scenario. I, I could see how everyone wins there because now, firstly, you know, the baseball stadium, they they can charge more for, uh, you know, for each person who wants to superimpose their logos on it. Ad- additionally, now every uh, channel can say, like you said, you know, perhaps that uh, tampons won't make so much sense for one, uh, you know, for one medium versus the other, you know, uh, just the example used, I can't think offhand why YouTube versus, you know, t- you know, a live TV would be any different, but, but I'm sure there's uh, people, th- there are, there are people who are paid a lot more than I do to figure that out. And yeah. And any advertiser can be there now. Any advertiser can be there. So, so that's kind of where I was going with my next question where now, how do you bring that to small business? Cause in a certain sense, a lot of this stuff is very expensive. If I were to do my own VR thing for this network, you know, that would cost a lot of money. But how do I then personalize and say for my small businesses, how can I be bring it to the customer? That that that's a good question, and that you know it gets kind of tricky. Um, I, I personally, I, I've I've not really done marketing for a small business before. Um, although some of the principles are the same, you know, I've had the luxury of not having to work with too small of budgets where, you know, for, for a really small business, for example, like a small fashion brand, um, even though we were simulating that for small businesses for Amex, um, Amex was paying for all the technology. Those businesses could have never afforded to produce an AR experience. So to answer your question, I think the answer has yet to come. Um, where do I think it's going? You know, 3D is a very expensive thing to do. And ultimately, if you want to showcase your products at scale, 3D is a really great way to do that, to give someone the ability to virtually see um, 
you know, uh, your, your product in their environment, uh, a, a t-shirt on them, a car in their driveway, a painting on their wall, a couch in their living room, whatever that may be, giving them the ability to do that, see it and then buy it. The new iPhones have LiDAR scanners in them and they're not perfect, but they can scan objects in 3D. They have object detection, they have surface detection and it processes very quickly. I can map out my entire living room with my iPhone in a matter of minutes. Um, that's incredible. Now you see where that is now. Imagine where it's going to be in five years from now. So going back to what I was saying, the, the, the solution is not there yet. The technology will become more accessible to a point where these businesses will be able to create experiences um, at scale, at a lower cost. So as the cost of entry goes down, it opens up to smaller businesses. But yeah, there is a struggle right now. But the problem is bigger brands are sometimes not experimenting. So, you know, uh, again, they, they might not be too far behind when, when finally that catches up to them. I hear it. I think it'll be a very exciting place where if for the future, you know, I could reach out, you know, with a small or, or a, a really small business can reach out to someplace like MLB and say, you know, I want, you know, this quarter of the screen for this 10 minutes to show my ad. I, I, that's where I, you know, based off what you're saying, that's where I could see it, you know, or similarly what you were saying with the Amex AR experience, I can understand in a certain way where I could see a major company is going to build a platform uh, almost in an e-commerce fashion and other people can go on and tag themselves in. I definitely can see, I can definitely can see where that, where a small business can, uh, you know, get a piece of that. Well, think of Shopify, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, before Shopify, before Amazon, before some of these major behemoths existed, not, not so much Amazon, let's go with Shopify for a second. That gives any business the ability to sell their products at scale with a professionally developed e-commerce platform that they can completely customize. You used to have to build those out from scratch. Now, a local business has almost no excuse for not selling outside of their local area. You have no excuse. If, if I make surfboards in California, there's no reason why I shouldn't be selling my products online globally. You can list on Alibaba. You can go on Etsy. You can be taking international orders for your business in a very short amount of time. Um, so the accessibility of that is there, and that has completely changed the reach of small businesses. Um, it gives them a weapon that was previously held only by companies and brands that had money, that had the money to invest in building out their infrastructure. Um, accepting payments, look at how easy it is for someone to accept credit card payments now. You know, you could set up a lemonade stand for tomorrow morning and accept credit card payments. Um, that's unheard of. That's unheard of, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And it's only going to get faster and it's only going to get more accessible. So going back to that, that small businesses have to be crafty to find their scale. The tools that are going to allow them to build experiences will eventually reach a point where, again, you could model a 3D object very quickly. You could scan your retail location and have people experience it virtually. Um, 
it won't be as much of an exclusive club anymore. Yeah, that'll be the day. It's, it's pretty crazy. The question, though, then is with, with literally ads everywhere, you know, in a certain sense, you know, I, I, I read the newspaper and half the articles are just, you know, plugs for, you know, uh, for some, is really some type of ad in disguise. You know, then I watch an entertaining video. Ads are everywhere. How then can I get, how then can you, you know, begin to pop out? You know, once we get super personalized, once people don't even realize they're wearing, they're, they're seeing ads anymore. Now, I remember, you know, I, there was a certain viral video that came out a while ago. I didn't even realize, my friend shared it with me. I didn't even realize there was an ad till he told me, oh, by the way, make sure to take a look at the logo. Um, now, I don't think that's, you know, generally the case. I think I'm just a little absent-minded. But I, I do think that at a certain point, we're going to be so overwhelmed by advertisement. How is it that a, in the, how is it that a campaign is going to, you know, pop out compared to its peers? Everything's going to be so subtle. Is the goal to be subtle or is the goal to pop out? Um, that's the million dollar question, right? Um, you know, the, the, the buzzword that we use is organic. People are more, um, accepting of advertising when it feels organic or when it feels personalized. Um, will people become overwhelmed with advertising? I think people might be now. I think people are annoyed by it. Um, because ultimately those older platforms that were annoying, they are still around. Advertising has a bad reputation. It probably always will to an extent. At the end of the day, advertising is not out there to kill you. We're not curing cancer, um, but advertising is education. I think there are a lot of upsides to it that um, people should, you know, it's hard to, to suggest that people appreciate advertising more, but at the end of the day, that's how you find out what you like. Um, you might find out you like a food from seeing an ad on TV that, that, you know, makes you want to go to the store and buy it and try it out. Um, I buy, like, I, I'm pretty sure this t-shirt I'm wearing right now, I bought on Instagram mm -hmm. from a company called Fresh Clean Teas that I've probably ordered from five or six times at this point. Yeah, I discovered send, them on, on Instagram. Yeah. Please send um, us money if you're listening, Fresh Clean Teas. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> not, not a sponsor of the show. <laughs> I'm assuming. I'm kidding. <laughs> hey, maybe they'll give you a promo code. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go on. <laughs> no, so it's just, um, I, I've, I've probably diverted very far from the question, but. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. So very interesting. This You're really opening my mind to, uh, to an area of marketing. When I think of marketing and what I do for marketing, you know, I, I happen to be, uh, I, I also run an e-commerce business as well as this podcast network. And to me, everything is simple. You know, it's all numbers. You know, I, I either run like the software for one thing or I, I pay for ads on like YouTube or on, uh, you know, on various social media accounts to get popped up. But to, to, but, to, but to kind of turn it into not just like an experiential, like what you're talking about with, um, you know, some of these VR things, but to, to really... Um, to really get into, uh, you know, people's, uh, to, to really personalize it in a way is something I'm always thinking about for my businesses and always very excited to, uh, to see where that goes. And with that in mind, you know, you, you mentioned before, you know, you've taken on a new position 
in Forbes. Um, so what do you do there? And, can you, and, and is that at all related with that experience that you're trying to set, that, that you, you're talking about in marketing? And when you create, you said you, I think you, you are an event coordinator. So what are you trying to do as an event co coordinator? Is it similar? Is it different? Tell me a little bit about that. So right now, uh, being that live events are not taking place, um, what I typically work on is I produce virtual events, which is what we're doing uh, completely right now. All of our events are virtual. Uh, Forbes did about 70 virtual events last year, and we're on pace to do about the same, probably more uh, this year, uh, you know, unless there is a return to in-person. Um, and then on top of that, you know, when, when we go back to in-person, also creating virtual experiences um, and activations for some of these event sponsors. So some of these brand partners of Forbes kind of taking both of their brands, uh, meshing them together and creating sort of a micro experience as an extension of some of our virtual events. And that's something that really only Forbes is doing. Um, compared to any of the competitors is offering activations that you would see at an in-person event virtually. You're not seeing a lot of that right now because people are just trying to figure out the basics. They're not really looking to layer on any of those uh, you know, added elements. And that's the difference. That's the difference that you always have to keep in mind is are you going to take things to that next level? Because if you're not, then you know, if you're not innovating in the position that you're in, or whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's running a podcast network, um, whether it's doing events for a large media brand, whatever that may be, if you're not looking to do things differently, what's the point? You know, if you want to be the best, if you want to grow, you have to, you have to either be the non-traditional thinker or make sure there's a non-traditional thinker in the room. Because the truth is the tools that you need to get from point A to point B are always there. What moves the needle is when you have a creative thinker in the room that can figure out how to put together the pieces of the puzzle to leverage and utilize everything together to create an effective strategy. The ideas drive things forward. It's not the technology. It's not, it's not the event. It's not the speaker. It's an idea. It's doing something different that will captivate people. I apply that to my role at Forbes. I applied that to my role at Coffee Labs, my viral video, and pretty much anything I've done. And I hope people can really take something from that and understand it, that whatever it is that you're doing, whether you're in marketing or not, try to innovate. Try to, to, to have an open mind to doing things differently. It will make you better at what you do. Um, it's something you should always be thinking about and considering, um, you know, and ultimately that, that is what moves the world forward is, is ideas. At risk of giving away, you know, some trade secrets. So what exactly, how, how do you get people to engage in these online events? Every, you know, I, I've witnessed a couple of concerts and in a certain sense, they had these uh, charity events where they, they had several events going on. And when I watched it, I was really not engaged. I was not impressed by how they were able, you know, try to get, how, get the crowd, whoever their, their target audience watching. So how do you make these events uh, successful and engaging to your target market? You have to offer them opportunities to engage. So something as simple as a live chat, a poll, a Q&A, 
um, it gives people an opportunity to engage, sometimes to a greater extent than they would at an in-person event. Um, give them an opportunity to join a breakout session and network with one another. Um, do you have any the, Do you have any examples that you know interest examples or successful examples you could share? Yeah, there's a lot of platforms that I've seen. Um, you know, Forbes. You know, we do offer a lot of interactivity with our events mm-hmm. using a lot of those things that I was just mentioning. Um, but there are platforms that really allow for engagement with, you know, booths like uh, VFairs is a big platform where you can create like a virtual trade show and and bring people to that. Um, I think it's a little tacky to be completely honest with you. I think if 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 you're not doing an in-person experience, don't make it look like one. If you can make it look like anything, um, focus on creating a good digital user experience. Um, that's something that comes up quite a bit, especially this past year. But, um, you know, other opportunities for engagement, there's a platform I really like called Gather Town. It's uh, gather.town. And it, it almost looks like a Super Mario 8-bit style game where you can create this environment that looks like sort of an event space. And you can actually walk up to people and using spatial audio, video chatting and audio chatting, it it almost replicates kind of that in-person experience of discovery and walking around and meeting people. So if three characters walk up to each other, you kind of start talking Um, and you have an opportunity to meet people. I think that's something that we've lost from live events. So I think you know, it depends on what it is. A Forbes live event is going to look very different from a Red Bull uh, live event or a Red Bull virtual event. Um, So you have to look at who your audience is and what's going to make sense for them. In a lot of cases, polls, Q&As, and a live chat is, is all you need. But generally speaking, find out what will make your audience engage. There have been during the pandemic, I think there was a Travis Scott concert inside of a video game. I know brands are now creating events and experiences inside of Animal Crossing, which is a very limited audience on Nintendo Switch. So I'm telling you, man, people are doing things that that are, are bonkers in a sense, but you have to go to where people are. So now is the era of trying things differently. If you can't have them in person, figure something else out. I, I, I think doing something inside of a video game is brilliant. But again, it all depends on who you are and who you're trying to reach. Exactly. I think that, I, I, I think that's a, that, that is a great point. Um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, if, if you're a, you know, a finance and business podcast, you don't necessarily belong in, you know, no, maybe a, maybe a Fortnite, uh, you know, typesetting. I can't imagine that they'd appreciate this so much, but uh, a concert, maybe. Um, I, I, I think, I think you're hundred percent right. Um, you know, with all this forward thinking, you know, I saw you post on LinkedIn, you know, that you were going to engage, you know, some, some create more content on YouTube and content in general. So what else can we expect from, you know, Brett Cohn? What do we see in your future coming up? Ah, oh, you know, uh, it remains to be seen. I mean, I, uh, I'm very curious to see where we are this year in the world. It's certainly been uh, a Quite crazy right. eventful past year. Um, so I'm curious to see where that all goes. For me, I think, uh, you know, again, I, I really want to use this time to engage with people a bit more, um, meet people, network with the people that I do network with. I think even when we're at home all day, you know, you still do get caught up in, in the mundane routines of the day to day. So 
my goal is to just engage more and learn more and um, connect with industry colleagues and, and, you know, people in my network, speaking to people like you uh, is, is always valuable. It's always good to have these conversations about where things are going and, um, you know, kind of hear your perspective and, and, you know, talk about what, what I've been working on. Um, that's how we kind of move things forward. And, and, and I look forward to just learning from other people around the industry to, again, you know, I'm doing what I'm doing. I, I can only learn by seeing what else is going on. It, it, it's a big, big world that we live in. So uh, hopefully it's a year of engagement, a year of learning and, uh, and a year of uh, prosperity for everyone. Yeah, of course. And I could completely relate to what you're saying. You know, I'm someone, you know, I, I, I was a finance major in college, you know, now I'm dealing with podcasts and e-mark and, and e-commerce. You know, I had a friend come to me the other week, you know, he's in a graduate program and he's looking for like side jobs or whatever. And he said, you know, I've known you for a very long time. You know, you goofed off in school, you know, you're a finance major you didn't learn any of these skills, web design, you know, marketing, you know, uh, using these platforms. You learned none of that. You know, I've known you, I've seen you every step of the way. You've learned none of that throughout your schooling. How is it that you're do, you've been doing so well with these things? And I told him, well, I sat and listened. I knew someone who was doing Amazon. I, I was interested. I, I, I networked, I listened. You know, I knew someone in this industry. I knew, I knew someone who knew a little bit of that, a little bit of this. And I asked them and I, and I talked. And once I got enough background, so then now I was able to, to launch it and, and figure things out on my own. And I could totally understand where you're coming from. You know, thank God that's how I was able to make things successful. And you know, I, I hope you guys, yeah, you know, to continue success. Thank you so much for joining us. 